Well, welcome to the hills. I greet all of you that are watching around the world in our online community and all of you in person at our Dallas launch team, our campus in Keller in West Fort Worth and at North Richmond Hills. A special shout out to all of you that got up on this very cold day in North Texas and came in person. I'm glad to see your face. You know, Jesus said many are called, but few are frozen. And you chose <laughs> to take Jesus at his words today. And so I am very, very grateful for you. I got to spend last week with my wife in a part of a country that's a little warmer, Florida. It wasn't for a vacation, but it was a wonderful time. I was at a retreat for church planners across the country, and many of them are connected to our church. In fact, I took this picture. These are church planters that our church is associated with. They are some of God's best people. We're talking about from Portland to Miami, from San Diego to Brunswick, Maine. We are helping start churches that are bringing kingdom to places, bringing light to places that have been dark. Church, give yourself a hand. These are some of God's best people, and it was inspiring for Jamie and I to be in their presence. So last week I started a series that I think is very important because we're explaining the discipleship strategy of our church. For many years we called it next steps, but we're changing how we articulate that strategy. We're calling it follow the way. And so if you did not hear the message last week, I don't usually do this, but go back and listen. Because in that message, you'll understand what Jesus meant when he used the word follow. Jesus was not seeking acceptance. He was a rabbi seeking apprentices that would come and learn his way so that they might be like him. And here's the thing. A lot of people like Jesus. A much smaller number want to be like Jesus. That reminds me of the story I like to tell about the boy who turned 16 and asked his father, Dad, could you help me get a car? <clears throat> and the father said, Son, I need to see three things change first. I need to see you get a job. I need to see your grades improve. And I need to see you cut off all that long hair. Well, the boy comes back in three months and said, Dad, have you noticed that I have a job sacking groceries and I'm doing well? I've been doing it for three months. Have you seen my last report card? I made nothing but A's and B's. Dad, could you help me get a car? And the father said, I see you still have all that long hair. And the boy said, well, now, Dad, I was looking at the Bible you gave me for Christmas, and I saw a picture of Jesus, and Jesus had long hair. And the father said, yep, and walked everywhere he went, didn't he? <laughs> because it's easier to like Jesus than to want to actually do life like Jesus. But you must make it your aim to be like Jesus if you're going to follow his way. And we think that's our mission as a church. And so you hear this language all the time that we exist to make and grow followers of Jesus. But here's what you're going to start hearing. That we exist to make and grow followers of Jesus. And we do this together by being with Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. And doing what Jesus did. You see, you all agree with me that Jesus is the way, but when we hear that, what we tend to hear is Jesus made a way to God, and he did. But he did not come just to make a way to God. He came to model a way to live for God. 
So when a rabbi said, follow me, he meant take on my yoke. Take on my teaching and way of living so that you can thrive in the kingdom of God. Understand that when Jesus is your rabbi, duplication is the destination. By following, you are saying, I'm signing up to spend time with my rabbi so that I can become like my rabbi and eventually do the things my rabbi does. So there's no way, as we begin, that you can become like Jesus if you don't spend time with him. The very first step in the process of following a rabbi is be with him. Look at Jesus' own uh, example in Mark 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's the very first thing you do when you follow a rabbi, that following the way begins with habitation. And actually, this should not surprise us because this is the big story the Bible is telling. That from the very beginning, we were created to be with God. And when you get to the end of the Bible, God has come back to the earth to be with his people. The big story of the Bible is not salvation. Salvation is the means to the end. The big story is fellowship. God wants to be with his children. He wants to live in our presence, and we should want to live in his presence. That's the reason for Christmas. They call him Emmanuel. God is with us. And so, cultivating a withness to Jesus is the very baseline of discipleship. It starts right there. If I'm going to follow Jesus, then how am I going to reorder my life so that I can be with my rabbi? Look at what Jesus said in John 15. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you can do a lot of things apart from Christ. But becoming like Christ is not one of them. If you're going to become like him, you've got to be with him. And please notice that Jesus says abounding demands abiding. You see, we read that text and we might think that the command was to bear fruit. There is no command in John 15 to bear fruit. The command is to abide in the vine. It is position, not production. Because Jesus knows if you spend time with me and you stay connected to me and my life begins to flow through you, then my character or the fruit of my life, the fruit of the Spirit is going to start to show up in your life. Now, this explains something. Because many non-Christians are turned off by the way many people who call themselves Christians behave. And you know what I'm talking about. All you have to do is get on social media and look at some of the posts during the last two election cycles. And you shake your head and think, how on earth could you call yourself a Christian? 
and say what you say and act like you act. And here's what Jesus says about that. That whenever you have a reflection problem, what you really have is a connection problem. There is no fruit in that life because that life is not abiding in me. That's where discipleship begins. Or at least it should. There was a movie called The Social Network that chronicled the creation of Facebook. And the the central character uh, was Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and CEO of Facebook. And there's a scene in that movie where he's in a desk position. And you can tell by his facial expression, he has contempt for the whole process. He's staring blandly out a window of some high-priced lawyer who's trying to get him to answer questions and who finally says, do I have your attention? And he turns and he says, you have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. In consumer Christianity, you can call yourself a Christian and actually give your rabbi just a minimum amount of attention. But to follow your rabbi, you give him your first, you give him your best, you give him your most attention. You understand, I must be with him. Well, what does that look like? Let's take it from a phrase to a practice. What can we do to cultivate a life where we spend time with our rabbi? I'm going to give you three suggestions. And here's the first. Focus on Jesus' presence. Who do you look to and look for the most? Now, if you are a basketball fan, and probably even if you're not, you recognize the tall guy in this picture, Larry Bird. One of the greatest NBA players of all time with his coach, Casey Jones. At his induction ceremony into the Basketball Hall of Fame, Casey Jones told this story about his best player. He said it was the very end of a game. The last shot is going to decide who wins. They're on the sidelines. He's drawing up a play. Larry Bird says, just give me the ball and tell everybody to get out of my way. Jones looked up and said, I am the coach of this team, and I will decide what play we run. And then he said to his team, get Larry the ball and get out of his way. (laughs) Look to Larry. In that situation, you need to know where do you look. Same thing is true in discipleship. The psalmist said, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Now, here's what you perhaps have never thought about, but I hope you will not forget after today. You're already abiding. Jesus did not say, start abiding. He said, abide in me. Because everybody abides somewhere. Where do you abide the most? For some of you, it's your phone. I mean, every spare moment, you are abiding with your phone. 
For some, it's social media. For some, it's your favorite news outlet. That's where you go when you have any margin. Or your favorite kind of music. Or your hobby or your kids' sports. Or you're constantly thinking about your job and how you can make the next dollar. Or maybe about how you need a drink to take the edge off. But your thoughts go somewhere. Everybody abides. The question is, where? Where do you go in your quiet moments? Where do you turn in search of comfort or joy? Is it your consistent practice to focus on the presence of Jesus? Perhaps you've heard the phrase, practicing the presence of God. It was coined by a man from the 1700s named Brother Lawrence. He was at a monastery in France, but he wasn't a monk or a priest. He worked in the kitchen. And he believed he could enjoy the presence of Jesus at his sink as much as he could taking communion. And I think that's what Paul meant when he said, pray without ceasing. I don't think he meant start a prayer and never end it. But what if you lived your life so constantly aware that Jesus is with you that you see someone with a need and you just immediately say, Jesus, please bless them. You see something beautiful or something that warms your heart or you think of a blessing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Or you become aware of something that is a burden somewhere in the world and you say, oh, Jesus, please do something. You see, we have the capacity to decide where we will abide. Paul said in Colossians 3, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You can do this. You can decide where you will set your mind. And as followers, we must have this practice throughout the day that we're just turning our thoughts back to our rabbi. Dallas Willard, who perhaps has written as profoundly on discipleship as anyone of our generation, puts it like this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. Focus on Jesus' presence. And it should be clear that you can't follow Jesus without unhurrying a part of your life. If Jesus is your rabbi, you've got to create margin in your life to spend time with him. And when you do, you won't do all the talking. And that's the second suggestion I want to give you. Focus on Jesus' presence and welcome the Spirit's guidance. You see, when the disciples left everything to follow Jesus, they literally did for three years, almost every day, spend time with him. 
I mean, they were with him. So they were understandably saddened and concerned when Jesus said, I am about to leave you. Jesus said, I know it makes you sad. But then he gave them a blessed assurance. Look in John 14 with me. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. These are Jesus' own words. It is Jesus' belief that his gift of the Holy Spirit to be with us and to live in us is a tangible way for us to be constantly in his presence. That if Bethlehem reveals God is with us and Calvary proves that God is for us, that Pentecost declares God is in us. By the way, did you know there is no New Testament command to get the Holy Spirit. It was God's gift when you received Christ. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to Christ. There is no command to get the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. The command is to let the Holy Spirit that you've been given have run of the house. Galatians 5, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to enable you to hear the voice of Jesus. Through inner nudges to do the right thing. Through heart conviction at doing the wrong thing. Through increasing hunger for the word and for prayer. You find you just are almost insatiable. Your appetite To read God's word and to talk to him. And just through words at the right moment that get you in the way of your rabbi. There's a pastor that I admire and read a lot who was honest enough to tell a story. About a weekend when his wife and kids were out of town. So he's by himself looking for something to do on a Friday night. And he thought, I'll go see a movie that my wife would not want to see. So he found a movie that was directly aimed at a male audience. It was mainly explosions and car crashes. But he knew before he went, there were also scenes that were, frankly, just raunchy. Scenes that he knew would repulse his wife. But he convinced himself that I can just block that out and just go for the rest. And it's just a dude movie and I'm a dude. So we went. Well, Saturday morning he wakes up. He's a runner. And he was going to go for a run. And he had a brand new pair of shoes. And all of us who run know how cool it is the first day you wear brand new running shoes. And they look good and they're clean. And he's running. And he sees a puddle in his path. And he does not want to get his new shoes muddy. So he gets up a little extra steam and he jumps and he clears that puddle. And as soon as he landed, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Why do you make more effort to keep your tennis shoes clean than to keep your mind clean? 
Now, it wasn't a voice of condemnation. It was spoken in love, but it convicted him. The Holy Spirit enabled him to hear the voice of his rabbi. And he got back in the way. I told you all year long, I'm going to preach on these three themes of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And so the very next series, starting in February, is going to be how to hear the voice of God. How to be led by the words of Jesus. And let me tell you, it is possible to hear Jesus. And when people hear his voice, they don't get weird. They get fruity. That's the thing about spirit-filled people. They don't have to tell you how spirit-filled they are. You know just by looking at the character of their lives. Because Paul said in Galatians 5, 16, let the spirit guide you. And then he talks about if you don't, the flesh will take over. And here's what that looks like. But if you do, the spirit will take over. And here's the kind of fruit. That's what this will look like. And then he sums it up with this verse. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And you experience the presence of Jesus when the Spirit is leading. And it'll often be in the presence of others because let me tell you something. The Jesus Spirit will lead you to Jesus' church. And that's the last big idea. Focus on Jesus' presence, welcome the Spirit's guidance, and embrace the church's importance. And I know I'm talking to some, and this is going to be the point where you're going to push back the most because you've been hurt by the church. Maybe it was legitimate, maybe it wasn't. Either way, I'm sorry. But if you're one of those people who say, I love Jesus, but not the church, may I just gently but firmly reply, The problem with I love Jesus but not the church is Jesus. Jesus loves the church. It's his bride. Did you know that nowhere does the Bible say all you need is a personal relationship with God? Nowhere. Even Jesus needed more than just a personal relationship with God. He deliberately chose to live in community. And he intentionally determined to establish and build a community that would invite and expect his presence. Did he know that community would have flaws? Yes. Did he know at times that community would embarrass him? Yes. But he still chose in that community to make himself known. He said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. That the church gathers to experience the presence of Jesus. I think sometimes we forget that. We get ready to come to an assembly of God's people. We get out of our car and we might see so-and-so and we might hear this or do that. But do we consciously understand We are entering into a place where Jesus has chosen to manifest his presence. We don't just meet together to worship Jesus. We worship together to meet Jesus. Look at this amazing thing that Paul said. When you are assembled 
the power of the Lord Jesus is present. So I'm going to tell you a story, and I don't know if it's true. I did my best to track it down, and I could not find out if it's true. But I'm going to tell you the story because it communicates a truth. And the story is this, that it's reported that some years ago there was a president who had the habit when he was in the White House to visit and attend a certain church. And on Tuesday or Wednesday of a particular week, a reporter called the pastor and said, will the president be attending your service this Sunday? And the pastor is reported to have said, I do not know if the president will be with us this Sunday, but I do know that Jesus will be with us, and we think that is sufficient reason to go ahead and have service. See, many of my most profound encounters with the presence of Jesus occurred in the presence of other believers. When I went through rooted, which you all need to do, there is a session where you focus on bondage and breakthrough and confession. And I confessed something I had never confessed before. My anger at a man who some years earlier had hurt my family. And I received healing. I received deliverance. Jesus ministered to me in the presence of his people. I've told you the story when we were shocked to learn that my wife was pregnant after years of being told she couldn't be with what would become our third child. Instead of rejoicing, I was full of fear. I'm too old to be a dad again. We don't have the money and resources to support a family of five. And I was in the worship center at the North Richardson Hills campus, and we were worshiping the Lord, and Jesus spoke to me. He said, have you ever had a single day that you could not feed your babies? Has there been a single time you could not put clothes on their back or take them to a doctor if they were sick? If I have been so faithful to your family in the past, why are you afraid I won't provide in the future? And in the presence of my church, I experienced the presence of Jesus. Jesus loves to attend church. If that was not true, why does the enemy try to ban worship gatherings in any nation on earth where he can get away with it? Because he understands what happens when the people of Jesus gather, Jesus shows up. And he doesn't want that. But Christians who follow the way will not let anything Get in the way of being with Jesus. Today, we brave cold weather to come together. We have brothers and sisters today who are braving threats of prison and death to get together. Because when you follow the way, nothing gets in the way of time with your rabbi. 
You make it a priority to make space for Jesus. And it has to be a priority. Or time with Jesus will become a casualty of our unnecessarily crowded lives. I told you each week I'm going to close with a question I want you to wrestle with. Last week it was if I keep doing life the way I'm doing it, am I going to get in the way of following Jesus? But here's the question this week, and I really do want you to wrestle. Is the way I'm doing life moving me closer to Jesus? Is the way I'm doing life creating sufficient margin for me to abide with my rabbi? If you do life in 2024 the way and the pace you did it in 2023, will you say at the end of this year, I never had a year where I spent so much time with Jesus. When I was a uh, young preacher, I loved to read the books and listen to cassette tapes of a preacher from Wisconsin named Stuart Briscoe. He was actually from England, and I don't know why, but when you preach with an English accent, it sounds like you know God better. <laughs> and he told a story, this is during the Cold War, of doing some several weeks of itinerant ministry in Poland when it was still under an atheistic and communistic regime. And he was picked up in the middle of the night and driven to the middle of nowhere and pointed in the direction of a dilapidated building. And when he went inside, there were a hundred Polish followers of Jesus waiting to receive a word from the Lord. And so he began to preach with his interpreter helping on abiding in Jesus. And about 10 minutes in, he said the lights went completely out. Now, there were no cell phones or any other way to generate light. It was just dark. And the interpreter said, just keep on preaching. I'll keep on interpreting. So we did. For 20 minutes, he just preached about abiding in Jesus. And then the lights came back on. And he was surprised to see every believer in that building was on their knees. They stayed on their knees the whole service. He found out later from his interpreter, they stayed on their knees the whole night. And he asked why. And he was told, your teaching was new to us. We wanted to make sure that we were abiding in Christ. Here's the thing about Jesus. He will invite. He says, come. He will invite, but he will not intrude. He says, come, because Jesus wants to be with us. And so the challenge for us is this. What am I willing to be done with so that I can be with my rabbi. Well, let's pray about that. So God, first we begin our prayer with thanksgiving. In spite of all our rebellion and all the ways we have turned away, you still want to be with us. 
You pursue us. You give us the gift of your own spirit. Oh God, we thank you that you are a God that puts a priority on with. So, would you increase our passion for what you are passionate about? Would you give us this week, God, the courage to do the business, the hard business, of really asking, where do I abide the most? And help us to remember this. The reward for following Jesus is Jesus. That just getting to be with Jesus is reason enough to follow. Come quickly, Jesus. We want to be with you forever. Amen.